What's up guys, welcome back, this is Christopher Manning here with another episode of On The Back Bar Podcast. Today we're at episode 30, how cool is that? And we've got the amazing Jay Khan from Hong Kong come and talk to us about tequila and his journey in hospitality. Now, uh, it's been a very exciting couple of weeks for me because we just had a cocktail competition, uh, which I was a host and judge of at PIM31 in Bangkok. So a big shout out to my Bangkok crew who all entered and were part of the competition. And also a big congratulations to Kun Mai, who was uh, the overall winner. She's from Backstage Bar, which is actually a, one of the Asia 50 best. So she obviously had some good mentorship there, but she did an amazing pomelo cocktail with great sustainability work. So pretty cool. Uh, and then we also had second place, which was Jack Grit from Havana Social. Awesome bar if you ever come to Bangkok again. And uh, finally, Son, good friend and uh, master scientific cocktail guy with his crazy experimental coconut uh, it was it was amazing it was great fun but anyway enough of me um we've got jay khan today uh, it's gonna be a great episode can't believe we're at episode 30 already very very proud of that uh, i hope you enjoy this one guys if you do please like subscribe follow share tell your friends tell your family tell your grandma about the show <laughs> because uh yeah the more you do that the the bigger i grow and hopefully the bigger guests i can get as well Although, to be fair, I've had a pretty good roundup of guests, so I don't know how I could get better from here. Uh, Jay, thanks, man. You're an absolute legend, um, and I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, one final note as well, guys. I'll be doing a cocktail competition through this show very soon, and what you'll be getting is a big bottle of alcohol from me. Uh, I will tell you more details once we've figured out the sponsorship, but it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, I'll keep you all tuned. All right. Enough from me, guys. Have a wonderful week and enjoy Jay Khan on the back bar. Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar. Hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to On the Back Bar podcast. We are very uh, fortunate today to have Jay Khan from Hong Kong to join us today. And Jay, thank you for coming. How are you, man? Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. I'm great. Thank you very much. Good, good. And how is it going in Hong Kong these days? We, we hear a lot of stories and we know you had to, sort of another wave come through, but how's the industry? Are you guys surviving? Yeah, man. I mean, the bars were back open uh, three weeks ago now and uh, things are going back to uh, normal uh, slowly. Uh, but I think uh, we are happy the bars are open. Uh, that's all that matters for now. And we will see. Although there are restrictions in place, uh, it does affect the business a lot, but in the end of the day, you know, I think uh, the entire world is affected. So we're trying to adapt to the situation right now. Mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. I think the whole world is starting to get used to these new rules and uh, new way of life, I guess. 
Yeah, man, yeah. absolutely. It's uh, new for everybody, and uh, we just have to fight this together. For sure, for sure. Well, Jay, let's not talk too much about COVID. Uh, what I'd really love to hear about is actually about you and your journey into the beverage world. So if you could give our audience a little bit of a rundown of where you came from and how you got to where you are today, that'd be amazing. Yeah, man. Uh, so I started my F&B career around uh, 15 years ago, I think. And uh, my first job working uh, in F&B was actually working in a restaurant uh, nearby where I used to live. And it was a dim sum restaurant. I just walked in and, uh, you know, I just uh, graduated from school. And I, I just, you know, at that time, I didn't have any... Uh, uh, you know, goals or anything. I just walked into the restaurant and said, I, I, I'm looking for a job. And since I, I was born in, and I grew up here in Hong Kong, I could speak the language. <clears throat> so they hired me and they gave me a trolley and they were like, okay, so uh, we have a busboy uh, job. So I had to go around the restaurant and clear the, the plates and glasswares. And that was my start. The first shift I ever did in F&B was over 12 hours. And for a first timer, you know, after school, uh, it was a really, really tough uh, thing. And it wasn't easy because you had to stand all day and you, know, you need to pull the trolley. Uh, and then also you have to, um, you know, you know, like dim sum restaurants, you have a lot of like older crowd, uh, like, like mm -hmm. you know, the, the people around uh, the restaurant usually are uh, old people and you need to engage with them. And they always ask you like, oh, where are you from? How can you speak the language and what are you doing over here? So yeah, it was interesting, but at the same time, it was also very uh, overwhelming and tiring for me because it was the first time I, I ever did this. Um, so that was my start uh, uh, in the F&B career. And then after that, uh, I joined uh, Hard Rock Cafe uh, in Hong Kong. So Hard Rock Cafe was, uh, there's, uh, there's, there was an old one in Hong Kong, which closed already. Uh, and a lot of my, uh, schoolmate used to work there so I heard about the job um, the pay was okay but it was mainly uh, tips so I, I joined the restaurant as a waiter and uh, I really like you know at that time there were not too many restaurants with 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 you know like a very um, um, uh, stabilized standard system you know about about how to how you do things in the restaurant so for me it was a very uh, interesting um, learning experience and uh, when I joined Hard Rock I had to learn all their standards and everything uh, but at that time uh, I was you know looking at the bar as well and the bartenders there they were actually pretty cool to me at that time because I didn't know what bartending was so I was watching the bartenders um, in the restaurant and you know they were engaging with customers they were flaring bottles around they were making these really uh, colorful uh, cocktails and i was like i want to do that you know i don't want to work on the floor i want to go inside the bar that's what i want to <laughs> yeah. do and uh, of course they they wouldn't offer me a job because i didn't have any experience in bar um uh, and so then what i did was uh, i kept the job but at the, at the same time uh, i looked for a night job because the hydro cafe job was i think around um uh, uh, after dinner, I had like a few hours I could do like a like a part time shift in a bar. So then I started looking for a job in the bar. Uh, so in Hong Kong, we used to have a lot of these um, uh, karaoke bars. Uh, they're all like in the same building. 
and usually the building would be like uh, 20, 30 floors. And there was a place uh, here in Hong Kong in Causeway Bay um, called, uh, in Chinese we say Tang Long Kai, uh, in English it would be like Tang Long Street, uh, which is uh, famous for karaoke bars. And they had like a few uh, buildings dedicated to that. So I went up to the top floor. I started giving out my CVs to every single bar. And uh, <laughs> yeah, literally every single bar I gave out my CV. Uh, and I got a few calls and uh, I ended up with, uh, you know, uh, one company. Uh, so they gave me a job, but still it was on the floor. They were like, ah, you know what? You, you really don't have any experience, but we're going to train you. We're going to teach you. Uh, work on the floor for now. And um, later on, if there is any chance, we'll just promote you to the bar. So for me, that was an opportunity. So I took it. And eventually um, I got promoted, but it was a very, very random, you know, promotion because one of the guy. Uh, he left, he was a bartender. And at that time, I I didn't get any training, official training. So yeah, I got promoted uh, in that karaoke bar. Uh, it was a very uh, random uh, promotion. It happened, mm -hmm. um, for example, uh, I was working that night and the guys were like, oh, you need to work behind the bar tomorrow. And it was a Saturday night. Uh, so that was my start. I was like, oh, shit, I don't know anything. Like, I didn't even know what a vodka line was. I didn't even know what vodka was. I didn't get any proper training. Uh, so the guy, so so my manager was like, don't worry about it. You know, we have a walkie-talkie. If you have any concerns or any questions or any recipe that you want, just let me know. And he was at the door, uh, you know, collecting money. So the system was like, you walk into the karaoke bar, you pay at the door, uh, 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 and all you can drink fee and you come inside and then you can drink whatever you want. So it was like a, a open bar. Mm. And uh, yeah, so that was my first experience. But I remember uh, completing my first bar shift, uh, although it was very tough. Uh, it was uh, something, you know, I didn't anticipate. But the feeling after the shift was very satisfying to me. It felt like I achieved something, you know, because it, it was really hard. Uh, mm -hmm. Imagine I put you some somewhere where you have completely zero experience and you only have a walkie-talkie to ask. Um, plus, you're in the middle of a service, right? So there's a lot going on in your head. Everybody's watching you. And, and mm -hmm. so, yeah, that was my first experience. But I think through that experience, I, I, I actually love the job even more. And then I start uh, doing a lot of research on my own because in Hong Kong, we didn't have any uh, cocktail bars. Uh, Hong Kong was not known for cocktails back then. We're talking about 2000, uh, I think five or six around that time. So uh, it was too right. early for Hong Kong. Uh, we didn't have any, any proper bars here. So it was mainly, you know, nightclubs and karaoke bars and maybe like local dive bars. Uh, but they were all making the same drinks. And, that was my start. And I got really, you know, intrigued into the, the, the cocktail world. I started buying a lot of books. I did a lot of research on my own. I didn't really have a mentor, to be honest. Um, and, you know, that, that was probably one of the downsides in my career, because if I did have a mentor, a lot of things would have been a lot easier for me. But uh, I had to kind yeah. of like find my own way. Um, and then I, I, I made a decision, a big decision. Um, so after the karaoke, um, a bar business. I went to nightclubs. I did a few years in nightclubs and I got a chance to actually uh, travel to Australia. Uh, so as a working holiday visa. So uh, I was, that was like, I was so young and 
we could travel, we could do that before uh, 30 years old. So I was like, I should do it because um, Australia is already ahead of the game and they already have cocktail bars. And I went to Melbourne and uh, I get a chance to work at a bar called The Alchemist, uh, which was mm. in Melbourne on a street called Brunswick Street, which is maybe like a two minutes walk from the Black Pearl. Um, so yeah, I, so we used to frequent Black Pearl every night, you know, after I finished my shift. And that is where um, things changed for me because I used to frequent Black Pearl and uh, the bartenders were very professional. They were engaging with the guests and they weren't, they weren't just making drinks, you know, it was an experience. Uh, so that really changed my perception towards bartending, actually like mm. going into proper cocktail bars. And I spent like a year or so in Australia. I came back to Hong Kong and I did a few months in a nightclub because again, there were no bars proper bars here. Uh, then we had the first uh, cocktail bar, you know, in Hong Kong opening, it was called Lillian Bloom. And it was a very, very uh, interesting concept because uh, it was a very American concept. Uh, they brought, you know, American designers and, and the concept was surrounding, you know, speakeasy, but you know, like now speakeasy is a very common term, but that we're talking about, I think 2010, it was still very fresh and new for Hong Kong. Um, so the first speakeasy bar opening in Hong Kong, and they actually invited a lot of uh, bartenders, like uh, celebrity bartenders like Alex Day from Death and & Company, and uh, mm. also Oeno-san uh, from Japan. I mean, you don't see those guys as often. I mean, now maybe you see Oeno-san uh, once in a while, you know, but back then yeah. it, it wasn't a common thing when you hear about like, oh, this is a legend coming to your country and then you're like, wow, you go crazy. And I was, I, I had a really good time with him because uh, I was assigned to look after him. And I had to like uh, go with him, around him, help him out, you know, with his things and all that. So I sent him to the airport, you know, bring him to the bar and all that. So I had a really good time with that. Really, I, I still remember the chat we had, uh, you know, it was, although it was 10 years ago, but it was still uh, a very uh, good experience for me. Uh, so he taught us about, you know, how to cut ice and heart shake and, you know, his techniques of shaking and everything. So it was a really good experience um, for us because we didn't have uh, any celebrity bartenders coming to Hong Kong and train the bartenders. So that was my start uh, at Lillian Blue uh, 10 years ago. Uh, and and then uh, uh, I, I moved around a, a lot. Uh, you know, I, I used to love whiskey a lot. And, uh, you know, there was a whiskey bar opening in Macau called the McAllen Bar in a casino yes, hotel. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I went there and I spent, uh, I think, two, two year plus uh, just to just because of the bar. And then but when I went there, uh, you know, when the bar was like autopilot, it was it was good and. The management moved me out of the bar. They were like, I think you can do more, you know, instead of just bartending. And for me, it was, I also want to learn more about the management side, you know, not just making drinks and being mm -hmm. a bartender. So I, I, I agreed and I learned. Um, so I got promoted as an assistant beverage manager in the hotel and I had to look after all the bars eventually. And then I realized actually, is that really something I want to do? Because you know, in the first place, the reason why I came to Macau was because I loved whiskey and they were opening this whiskey bar. Um, and 
and all if you look at my career like it was all because i love bartending you know and now i'm doing something completely different completely opposite i don't get time to make drinks yes i am managing but is that something i really wanted to do uh so i i don't know i was very confused at that time um and then you know, I quit the job. I came back to Hong Kong and I did a few bars in Hong Kong. Uh, and then I realized I think I should go back to the bar because that's what I really wanted to do. And um, then uh, uh, I, I, re I remembered uh, in Lillian Bloom, we used to have American bartenders coming down and they would bring, you know, uh, mezcal uh, from uh, the US because in Hong Kong, we didn't have me mezcal back in 2010. Uh, so I still remember the experience the first time I tried mezcal. I think it was very, very uh, acquired. It was very different. And um, I don't know, it was just completely the opposite of everything I've ever tried. Uh, for example, uh, I think mezcal is more towards uh, savory and spicy flavors rather than, you know, uh, something sweet or fruit forward that you would normally associate with many other spirit. So this to me was very intriguing. Like, and I personally love a lot of like savory and spicy stuff. So it really, you know, it left a memory uh, with me. Um, and then when I came back from Macau, I, I stopped thinking about mezcal. I'm like, you know what? Um, nobody else is doing this in Hong Kong and, and why not? Because it's such a beautiful spirit. Uh, at that time, there were a few brands that coming into Hong Kong, but mainly, we had a lot of tequilas, but not a lot of mezcal. So then I decided to actually go to Mexico. I just planned, you know, on my own, I start messaging uh, producers uh, on Facebook and uh, yeah, mainly on Facebook. I just messaged them and I was like, dude, I'm a big fan of your tequila. Can I come uh, and see you guys? And they were very friendly. They were very open. And then they, they welcomed me. And, and that's how I actually went to Mexico without knowing anyone or without um, asking anybody else who, who from Hong Kong who have been there because nobody else actually have been there from Hong Kong, especially, you know, like in the bartending community. Uh, so I was uh, on my own. But that was the beauty of the experience because I get to, um, you know, approach the people I want to meet myself. And they were very friendly. Uh, they welcomed me and yeah, uh, and then I planned uh, my, my first Mexico trip. I think that was uh, 2014 or something. I, I don't exactly remember. Uh, and I had an amazing experience in Mexico. I went to see a lot of distilleries. I met a lot of people. Uh, we spent a good time in Jalisco. And then also we went down to Oaxaca and spent some time in Oaxaca. Uh, I've probably been to like more than 20 distilleries uh, in that trip. So that was wow. like an, okay. a, a you know, well, the entire trip was uh, focused on just, uh, you know, uh, meeting distillers and going to as many distilleries as we can. And because I don't know when will I ever go to Mexico again. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, we just wanted to maximize that, that time that we have. Uh, I came back to Hong Kong. I was, you know, uh, very, very passionate and I was very driven about agave spirit. And then... Um, all the projects I did after that, any project I did, even though let's say it was an Italian restaurant or a bar that was focusing on whiskey or cognac, I would still have a line of, you know, tequila and mezcal uh, mm. in the bar. So because that, I didn't realize like what I wanted to do from there because I just love the spirit. I, I just wanted to promote it. 
Uh, and then from from the from my first trip to Mexico, uh, every year after that, I've I've been going there twice every year. It just kind of oh, like okay. pulled me back. Like uh, I should go back. I should go back. And the more I went there, the more it felt like home to me, and uh, and the more I liked it. And I just wanted to bring that piece of experience that I had in Mexico to Hong Kong. At that time, I had no plans. And I mean, I do wanted to open a bar. Uh, you know, and at that time I wanted to open a bar that I could, I didn't have any plan about whether I should do agave spirits or, or anything. I was just too naive. I didn't know uh, much about opening a bar or anything. Uh, but gradually, uh, you know, through experience, and then I realized uh, I should do an agave bar, you know, and, and I, I talked to a few of my close friends and industry friends. Um, they told me, you know what? I, I don't agree with you. I think you shouldn't do an agave bar. If you have the investment, if right. you have the money, uh, why don't you do something a little bit more approachable, something people, you know, will go to because uh, uh, not a lot of Mexican places in Hong Kong were successful. Uh, so look, looking at the, the you know, the, the history of, of Mexican places in Hong Kong, it's, it's a tough business because, I mean, if it's a restaurant, maybe, but a bar, like, you are opening a bar with not much food options. Like it's pretty intimidating, right? Like you're opening a tequila bar with no or minimal food. Uh, and it is pretty, it sounds pretty, uh, you know, scary in the beginning, but I was just so driven and so passionate about this. And I was like, I think I can do this. You know, I, I think I can do this. And despite what others told me, I still, uh, opened the bar uh, and I had a huge support from my business partner. So, uh, so Koa uh, is co-founded. So it's me and my business partner, but she's not in the industry. So she mm-hmm. doesn't like to show herself too much, but she does help with me, uh, does help a lot, uh, you know, the back end stuff and uh, whatever, you know, it's, it's not operationally related. She, she helped me with that. Um, so the first time when I spoke to her about, uh, I want to do a business, I want to open a bar and she was on the same page from the first moment. She didn't even want to hear about the concept. She was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's open a bar. Uh, so, Great. so then I, then I told her the concept that like, this is what I wanted to do. And she didn't even hesitate. She didn't even ask me twice. Uh-huh. She was like, yeah, I trust you. You know what, if you think this is going to work, just do it. And that really gave me a lot of confidence. Uh, and then along the way we found a couple of investors and, uh, you know, I we just ran through the concept with them, and this is what we wanted to do, and that's what we wanted to achieve. And our main mission uh, of opening Koa was to hope, you know, reintroduce agave spirit to Hong Kong. We had no uh, uh, ambitions about, you know, uh, being famous or anything like that. We just wanted to have a have a place here in Hong Kong where we could reintroduce agave spirit, and that was our approach. Simple. Mm. And and then uh, yeah, I got a chance to open uh, Koa in 2017. So the first chat I had with my business partner, uh, right after that chat, within three months, the bar was already open. So the bar opened really, really quickly. We found a spot that we liked really quickly. So along mm-hmm. the way, we got really lucky as well. And uh, now the bar is uh, three years old, approximately. Okay. Yeah. So that's in a nutshell. I, I, I've, I've been jumping around a lot back and forth and I've missed a few things in between as well. But if there's anything, <laughs> you can just uh, remind me or ask me. <laughs> sure. I mean, um, 
yeah i mean i love the story the journey you put in and it just shows that actually with a lot of passion you can achieve a lot and uh Koa has obviously done incredibly well because from 2017 you've already you're already in the top 10 of the age 50 best uh regarded as a, an incredible place in many establishments around the world too um i mean i had a look as well tequila is obviously the big focus um how was the initial response in the hong kong market and other bartenders to Koa when it first opened? Was it met with great applause or was it hard at first? Uh, well, uh, we opened in December uh, 2017. So we, were, uh, we're, we are an independent bar. We are not part of like a big company. And mm -hmm. uh, we didn't know much about marketing at that time. And we hired a PR company uh, to help us out. And it was tough because December, nobody's in town. Uh, everybody's mm -hmm. traveling. They're on holiday. Nobody wants to war. And nobody knew who we were. And so December was a really tough month for us. So we, we couldn't break even for the month. We, were, we lost uh, some money. And then going into January, uh, in Hong Kong, January is uh, very quiet. Uh, because, uh, you know, dry January and all that. And for some reason, they have these 20, uh, you know, New Year resolutions and everything where they want to drink less. So yeah. January is always like a tough month for everyone. Uh, and then February uh, that that year, uh, 2018, was Chinese New Year. And Chinese New Year said Hong Kong is a dead city. Like, like nobody's in Hong Kong. Like, everybody's traveling and, and nobody would right. go to bars. And usually bars would be closed for a long time. Uh, so, yeah, we suffered, like, uh, December, January, and March, we were losing money. But I, I still thought, you know, like, uh, if we continue this, we should not uh, change our aims or values of the company because we did get a lot of direction from people that we should do something like, I don't know, happy hours or do anything that can attract people to come in. Uh, but then I was like, that was not my purpose of opening a bar. You know, I don't want to have a bar where I start doing things I don't want to, because mm -hmm. uh, that's not what I, I initially thought. Uh, so my PR company told me, oh, I think you should do this, you should do that. But everything they suggested actually diluted the value of COA. And that's something I didn't want. So we stick to our values. We stick to our concept. We didn't change anything. And then when March came, March came, uh, March was the first month we broke even for March. And that was a, a little bit hope for us. And mm -hmm. then we realized actually it was just the timing. The timing was completely wrong. Like we shouldn't have opened in December. Uh, mm -hmm. We should probably open after Chinese New Year, uh, especially for a concept that is unknown. Uh, so that's something we learned and, uh, March came, March broke away. And since March afterwards, business has been better and better and better. So we didn't look back since then. Uh, so a lot of our guests who came to COA are through word of mouth. So we stopped using the PR company right after that because we thought it's unmeasurable. Uh, we don't know whether it's going to be effective. So we start doing our own marketing and we start promoting, uh, our social media much uh, more and and just give the best experience we could to our guests if they come to the bar and through word of mouth uh, we start getting 
more and more people coming in. And also with the mm -hmm. support from the industry friends, like the bars and restaurants around us, they really supported us. Uh, the, the bars and restaurants around us, they really uh, believed in what we were doing. And uh, they recommended a lot of their guests to us as well. Uh, and, you know, so, so that was a start for us. Uh, and uh, slowly and slowly along the way, uh, you know, we got a few um, uh, acknowledgements and awards and that really helped drive more and more people uh, coming to COA. Uh, so the beginning uh, was definitely uh, hard. And uh, I think it was because we were persistent in what we were doing. Uh, we didn't look back. And we still believed in our concept. And I think that led to uh, where we are right now. Great. Very, very good. And uh, can you tell us more about the, the beverage program and the cocktail development? And, uh, you know, where you get a lot of your ideas from to, to make the drinks? Sure, man. Uh, so most of the ideas uh, uh, we had uh, are usually uh, travel related. So mm -hmm. through our travels, um, we... Uh, you know, I, I usually always carry um, a notebook or I use um, Evernote a lot. And when I travel, uh, whatever I see that is interesting to me, I will, I will write it down. doesn't matter uh, whether I will use it in the future. Uh, that, at that time, I, I don't even know it's, it's going to be a part of my drink. I, just, I will just write it down. For example, um, I like to go to Taiwan a lot. And mm. Taiwan, uh, you know, they have, uh, they're famous for their guavas. Uh, so you go there and uh, uh, when the guavas are in season, uh, they will have guavas uh, selling in night markets and some other parts of uh, Taiwan. And uh, they would usually s slice the guavas. Uh, they'll put it in a bag and they would sprinkle it with uh, a plum powder. And that's like a delicacy, like a street snack uh, in Taiwan. And I, and I really love that. And so I just wrote it down. I'm like, okay, maybe, I don't know, this could be a drink in the future, right? So I just wrote it down. Um, mm. And things like that, you know, like whatever I see interesting, uh, I, I would note it down. And then uh, coming back to Hong Kong, uh, whenever I'm thinking like, oh, okay, it's time for me to develop some new drinks, I would bring out my note and say, hey, okay, uh, what can I do now? Is there anything that I've experienced uh, that can turn into a cocktail? Uh, so that guava drink, sorry, the guava snack became a drink. Uh, so, so what we did was, uh, so the approach is simple. I mean, uh, first we need to think, you know, what type of cocktails were, we want to make, mm -hmm. whether it's going to be a summer drink or a winter drink, or whether it's going to be a before dinner or after dinner drink, uh, whether it's going to be a low ABV refreshing cocktail. So thinking of that snack, what it what reminds what it reminds me of is is uh, uh, because the snack is pretty refreshing, uh, and 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 the the snack tastes much better when 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 you're in a in a hot day, uh, so maybe we could do something like a, a refreshing drink, you know, like a highball style refreshing cocktail. Uh, so what can we do with the guava? Can we infuse the guava? Can we uh, make guava juice or uh, we make a guava soda so we start writing down ideas like what can we do with guava as a single ingredient so we do have a list that that we follow uh, the staff follows as well we, we have a template like like what are our steps when it comes to developing cocktails at koa uh, oh, so that's cool it's just a guideline to be honest it's yeah. not something they have to mandatory follow it's just a guideline when they're stuck 
in one area. Uh, what are they going to do next? So th that's like a guideline. So for mm. example, um, I, uh, you know, like the first thing we need to first think of is what is the direction of the cocktail? Once we figure out the uh, direction of the cocktail, then we need to um, break down the ingredients, uh, for example, that goes into the drink. So now we're talking about the guava, right? So what can we do with the guava? And the, the di direction for us was a highball drink. And what is the best way we could incorporate the guava into the cocktail? If I infuse the guava into the cocktail, the flavor might not be as pronounced. So what can I do that can make the guava pop out? So then we decided to juice the guava. And then we tried to like, you know, use the guava in the drink by shaking the cocktail. It didn't really work out for us. So then we were like, what, what else can we do? Then we have a template of different techniques, for example, mm -hmm. that we can apply to an ingredient, whether it's going to be a sous vide drink, it's going to be a centrifuge drink, uh, and so on. Like we have a list of all these different techniques. Uh, then by looking at that, we realized we had a clarification technique. What can we do by, can we do clar clarified guava? You know, if we do that, how it's going to turn out. So we follow that and then we try to clarify it. And then we clarified it and then we carbonated it to make it into a soda water because then your majority of the drink is guava. So the flavor pops out really well. So that nice. became the main ingredient, the guava. And now I remember uh, not just going to Mexico, uh, but because we are a Mexican concept, so we don't want to just incorporate like a Taiwan element to the drink. What can we do to blend, maybe maybe do like a fusion, for example. So going to Mexico, I remember in Mexico, they do the same. They give you sliced uh, fruits on the streets and they sprinkle with chili powder uh, or a, a Mexican spice blend, for example. Uh, then I was like, actually, guava really goes well with chili, right? If you look at the mm -hmm. pairing of, of guava, guava goes well with, with something savory and spicy as well. Then we added uh, an element of Mexican flavor and that's ancho, ancho chile. And ancho chile is a, it's a Mexican chili uh, called poblano, which is dried. It becomes ancho and ancho has this nice smoky savory flavor, but ancho is not very, very spicy. It's like really subtle spice to it, but the flavor is very, very intense. Then we added a touch of that to the drink and also the plum. So the plum powder that I saw in Taiwan, for example, that we infused into the tequila. So now we have a drink, a tall refreshing cocktail with tequila infused um, dried salted plum. And then we all have our own homemade guava soda and a touch of Mexican chili. So now we have like a very nice low ABV refreshing cocktail. So that's like just one of the drinks on the menu, the idea where, you know, like through traveling can come from. Uh, and sometimes mm. just walking out in the market or maybe going to a restaurant or or maybe something completely that's irrelevant to to food and beverage. For example, we used to have a drink on the yeah. menu called La Chinesca. So La Chinesca is actually named after a neighborhood in Mexico. So that neighborhood historically had the most Chinese people living in Mexico. So I did a bit of research on the place. Like Then I started imagining like what would food taste like in that part of Mexico or how would drink taste like in that part of Mexico? Then we start uh, doing fusion like of, of Chinese ingredient and Mexican ingredient. Uh, and that was an idea as well. So the idea comes from all around, like we don't limit ourselves. 
but we do have a, a template, a guideline that we follow and also the staff can follow. So that way, uh, usually I don't force them to follow that because everyone have their own creative way of working. Um, but if in case they need some reference, they can always go back to that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's great. And it's, there's two things I, I think the audience should take away from that. Firstly, note taking, because it's very important carrying around a little notebook um, and the other thing is the template. I think that's such a great idea, uh, which I haven't really seen before often. But uh, obviously it gives structure to, to the thought process, right? Mm. Because, I, uh, because I remember when I uh, used to come up with drinks, I would always have a difficulty uh, with, let's say, how, how can I progress from, from, this, from this step now? Mm. Like, what is the next step? Like, I get confused or, or I'll, I'll, I'll be lost and, and I'll give up eventually. And then I started realizing that uh, because the thing is sometimes your mind works better one day and the other day it's not as sharp. Um, so you don't know, you can't think as as sharp or you know, you can't be focused as the, 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 the same level of focusness cannot be applied every single day. So you need to have these guidelines and references to help you out sometime as well. Mm-hmm. So, so then, uh, and I think if it's, uh, if I if I experience this, I'm sure other people will also have some sort of their own difficulty as well, right? Nobody is perfect, uh, so then I start drafting these down so that can help, uh, you know, the staff. For example, if we learn a new technique, let's say uh, uh, we learn how to uh, ferment a particular ingredient or anything like that, or the technique we use, so that goes into that template, uh, then the staff can see, you know, like okay, now we can do this or we can do that, for example. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that education has been a big part of your life now? Because you, you've been, um, you've had some incredible awards. Most recently was uh, in the most hundred influential list, right? Number thirty-seven, which is great. And I know you're part of the Tales of the Cocktail, uh, some of the seminars. Do you feel that education is now uh, a big part of what you do these days? Uh, I think, yeah, especially, uh, with the COVID happening right now, I get a lot of opportunities to, to talk and, you know, share and also, uh, learn from others as well. And, uh, yeah, but the thing is, uh, we, we usually go with the flow, to be honest, like, um, I don't have any particular uh, direction where I, I, I want to train somebody or anything like that, but somebody approaches me and say, do you want to do this? I'll never say no. And it doesn't matter if it's a big brand or if it's a small brand or if it's a single person. Like we do get requests from our guests. They want to do a mezcal appreciation class in our bar. And usually we don't say no to anything, uh, even though if it's just one person, we, if the time is right, I can invite that person to come down to the bar and then we can talk about agave, you know, as long as uh, we're not busy. Uh, so to be honest, it's usually a more casual approach for me. Uh, but yeah, recent recently, definitely, the, I get a lot more opportunities to do that. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think uh, whatever comes along the way, I'll just you know go with it. So we're very flexible, to be honest, and we love to share um, lots of things we do in the bar. If uh, some uh, young bartenders, aspiring bartenders, you know, they walk into the bar and they want to know a particular uh, thing that we're doing, we invite them. Say, so come to the bar work with us, you know, for one prep shift and, and learn, you know, that's how we mm-hmm. all learn. I don't look at my bar as one bar. I look at, uh, I, I usually look at Hong Kong as, as one industry, you know, like 
we want Hong Kong to be to be better, outstanding. And I think a lot of us in Hong Kong have the same mentality. And uh, there's a few other individuals that I really respect in Hong Kong. And and to me, you know, we all work together, and hopefully, we we raise the standard of bars in Hong Kong. Uh, it's not just you know me as one single person. And one other reason why I wanted to do agave spirit in Hong Kong was because I think uh, Hong Kong at that time needed a bit more diversity in terms of concept. Uh, we used to have a lot of, um, you know, whiskey bars and gin bars, but we didn't have too many of other concepts that would be a little bit more, you know, contrasty and different. So then I decided to, um, I think we need, we need an agave bar as well in Hong Kong. And I knew with the investment I had, I could have done, uh, any other concept, maybe I could have made even double the revenue that I'm making right now, but but that wasn't my approach at that time. So mm-hmm. yeah, so I think definitely um, if there's a, an opportunity for me to talk or teach, I will always say yes. Good. Uh, we'll come back to Agave in a minute, but I wanted to talk about Tales of the Cocktail and uh, the Bar Recovery Asia session. What were some of the key points from that that you'd like to maybe tell the audience? Because a lot of our audience actually do live in Asia. They're part of the drink scene. Uh, they're having to go through a lot of changes. So it'd be great to hear the highlights of that session. Yeah, so uh, I think a lot of the things uh, we could learn from is what others were doing during the COVID. Uh, that was very important. Like, uh, how did we uh, cope with the situation? Uh, for example, uh, what what ideas can we implement during the times where the bars are forced to close? How can we still make money? How can we still pay the staff? You know, those were a few things uh, that we were all sharing. And so what we did um, during the COVID period when the bars were forced to close, we actually emphasized more on our online shop. We uh, developed our e-commerce and because not too many bars in Hong Kong actually have e-commerce, so, and then I was thinking like, why, why not, right? I mean, we should, I think every single individual bar, they should own an e-commerce because hmm. uh, if not, to me, bars are pretty one dimensional because if you're just doing one type of business uh, and, uh, you know, situation like COVID comes into place and then you're forced to close and that's it, you can't make any money. So then we look at, you know, what others are doing. For example, what uh, bottle shops are doing or what uh, some breweries are doing, you know, they have their own e-commerce platforms. So then we decided to build our own e-commerce and promote that. It's still very young, the website. And I can honestly tell you when we were closed, uh, the business, uh, sorry, the e-commerce was actually good. But now that we are open, people rather come to the bar instead of using the e-commerce. But that's because... uh, you know, to be honest, the reason why you go to the bar is not just to drink, right? It's to socialize. And um, most of the time when you have a chance, you would rather go out and drink and not drink at home. And that's pretty normal. But it's a great platform if, let's say, uh, we have another shutdown. At least the website is already established. People know about it. And the longer it's established, the more people know. And when the more people know, the better the business. So, uh so I think uh, this is something I would highly suggest, you know, if mm-hmm. your country where you live allows you to do e-commerce, you should go for it. And it's, it's never too late or too early, you know, just, just do it whenever you have the opportunity. And, and 
even though uh let's say if you're a whiskey bar you can just put whiskeys there put something there you know like like right now we're more focused on bottled spirits like tequila and mezcal because a lot of our guests they told us they don't know where to buy agave spirits they want to buy and they want to gift to their friends or family uh, and so on and we want to be that platform where they can come although the website we didn't have too many stuff yet and we're gradually adding more and more we're only adding the stuff that's stable in hong kong uh although in the bar we have so much more but those are not like very stable product we can't put on our e-commerce uh but gradually you know we're going to put more and more items on the website and then the longer you have the website the more it will be established and the more people will know about it right uh so i mm-hmm. think this is definitely one thing i personally uh, uh would share with with everyone and also the other thing is um Uh, we did a collaboration with uh, a brewery called uh, Young Mastery here in Hong Kong to do canned palomas. So paloma, oh, cool. uh, we, okay. we we sell a lot of paloma in our bar, and uh, we have our own twist on a classic paloma. So that drink we call paloma de Oaxaca. Uh, Oaxaca is a state in Mexico, right? And uh, Oaxaca is known for uh, uh, mezcal and also a lot of interesting ingredients like worm salt, for example. And so we did a paloma yeah. with with a worm salt, and also added mezcal to the tequila, and and so on. So that drink became pretty um, popular in our bar. And um, during the shutdown, uh, we collaborated with with this local brewery called Young Masters, and we did a canned version of our signature paloma, with a, a packet, a sachet of worm salt that goes with it. So whenever we deliver the can of paloma, it comes with a packet of worm salt. So it became like a really, uh, uh, you know, it, it was very successful. You know, we we did three thousand cans, and it's all sold out. Uh, wow, it okay. sold out pretty quickly. Uh, a lot of our guests that would buy like a case, twenty four cans, because not too many. We don't we don't have too many canned cocktails in Hong Kong in the first place, and second of all, Paloma is like so refreshing, so approachable. And people love that, you know, like like that's why people drink beer. Like I drink beer because it's thirst quenching, it's light, it's refreshing. Uh, so so if you want to do like a canned cocktail, I I would suggest you know go that direction because that's what you always relate to, right? When you think of a can. Uh, so we that's the reason why we did the Paloma. First of all, because we had already had a good amount of people that would come for Paloma to our bar, and second of all, I think it's a very approachable drink. Well, people will love it. Plus, it's with tequila and also mezcal, and it became very successful. Mm. And the collaboration helped us because two things: one is we didn't have a canning system, right? And 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 Young Masters, they are an established brewery here in Hong Kong, and and they have proper facilities to can and carbonate stuff like in big batches. And second is the mm. reach. So uh, Young Masters has been open before us. They have a very big following here in Hong Kong. And uh, uh, through them, we have reached further out to people, maybe who didn't know who we were, and that really helped us in terms of business as well. So to us, it was a win-win, right? Uh, so that's one benefit about collaboration instead of doing anything individually. So I would also suggest that if you get it, if you're shut down and if you're allowed to do collaboration, please do it because collaboration. Will really help you and also whoever you collaborate with. It's like you know, kind of like uh, I introduce my guest to you and you introduce your guest to me, and it's a win-win. So um, 
that's something I would suggest. And one other idea I really liked about um, from Bangkok, um, Vesper Bar. So what they oh, okay. did was um, they did these vouchers, right? So the vouchers were like, you buy this voucher uh, so you could redeem the drinks uh, later on. And I think mm -hmm. that was a pretty cool idea because, but of course that voucher has to make sense. It has to be cheaper than the usual uh, uh, amount on the menu, for example. So it make it sound more attractive. So let's say your drinks are, let's say I, you, what are the drinks in Bangkok usually? How much is it? At, at well, they range around. from about 350 baht upwards to 450, I guess. Let's say, sort of let's say the drinks are 400 baht, right? Uh, mm. And then the voucher uh, that you're selling can be 300 baht. So it sounds like it's more attractive. And you know, you will go back to the bar when the bars are open. So it may mm. uh, sound a bit more attractive to your, your regulars. And, and I think that idea was pretty good as well. Uh, so you can do vouchers where you can, you can buy a particular amount or a package of something um, like a service. Uh, and then the guests can pay first and then can redeem the service afterwards. So I think that is also a very interesting uh, thing to do as well. But again, if you have an e-commerce website uh, that is already set up, then you can even put those vouchers on your e-commerce, right? That way your guests will have go to just one page to see everything you have to offer. And it's also mm -hmm. more organized that way. And it's much more convenient for the guests as well. Mm. And it's quite easy these days to set up an e-commerce site, right? There's lots of different, I mean, Wix is one of the builders, yeah. I think. Just You don't have to do it yourself. You just pay somebody else to do it, right? Yeah, uh, that's true too. <laughs> you, it's, it's, yeah, it, it is. A, a, there is an investment involved, but I mean, it's worth it to be honest. Like, I mean, the mm. investment that we put into our e-commerce We've got we've got that back already. So I think uh, it's sometimes it's intimidating because people don't know how it's done uh, because they're not clear how where to start, for example. So once you have a clear direction, why don't you ask uh, whoever in your country is already doing e-commerce? Uh, most of the bottle shops in your country will have e-commerce. Just go there, like whoever you know. Ask them, like, do you have a recommendation? Can I? Do you have a guy that can help us out with our e-commerce? And so on. It's it's that simple. Like we 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 asked uh, our friend who did the website for us, and apparently he knew how to set up e-commerce. I'm like perfect, and then he did it for us, and it took us two weeks to get everything done. Um, yeah. So I think it's just sometimes people don't know where to start, and also they think it may be expensive. Yeah, it is depending on where you are. To be honest, like in Hong Kong, it's not cheap, but once you get once you get it set up. And that's it. You know, you don't have to pay again. True, true. So uh, we'll, we'll jump back into tequila, but actually more probably about you as well. I'm interested. Do you have a large tequila selection at home? So all my tequilas at home is in the bar. And uh, oh, okay. yeah, because um, first of all, uh, I don't really have a bar here uh, at home. Mm. And I usually don't drink uh, that much. So I don't keep anything uh, at home, but whatever I have, it's all in my bar. That's my home, you know, so. Right. <laughs> yeah. I suppose you spend most of your life there, right? Good. And uh, I mean, you said you don't drink too much, but when you do go out, is it tequila you're going for? Or do you like to go for something else? Anything, man. To be honest, uh, mm. I'm not, uh, I, well, I drink everything. And 
the reason why tequila and mezcal is because yeah it's my favorite spirit but doesn't mean I'll, I'll be drinking tequila and mezcal every day right uh, yeah. so like you know, I, I, I like eating noodles so I will eat noodles every day so it's not like that um, I think uh, I, 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 it depends man it depends usually I would start with a beer first you know uh, and then after that I probably go into cocktails I mean I like to try cocktails from other bars as well and sometimes they have new drinks uh, they, they, they want me to try I try you know I drink everything to be honest Mm. okay okay good well we're going to wrap up very soon because uh, i know we've both got busy lives and uh need to look after our bars but um, i just want to ask just quickly as well um what, what is the future for koa where, where do you see it going in the next few years i mean uh like we are uh we're not always we don't really always have uh how do you say uh, since we opened koa everything happened uh, with the flow, you know, like we, we didn't have uh, something to aim for. Uh, but I think the, the, the recent time uh, we have uh, had a clear idea about ourselves. And uh, since we are, we are doing so well in educating and promoting about agave spirits, I think we should definitely take that to the next level, the next uh, st- uh, level. And for us would be, to be honest, if we are able to open, uh, let's say, COA in some other cities, uh, we would love to. There are a few conversations going on right now uh, in different parts of Asia that may, I don't know, I don't know right now it will happen or not because of the COVID situation. Uh, But there are talks right now. There are some projects in the loop that we are, um, you know, discussing um it's it's okay. literally coming down to uh whether it's the right time to do it because of the covid situation because i don't want to let's say open a bar and then we're forced to shut because of covid uh so we're, we're just trying to be very careful we don't like to rush into things like you know since we opened co-op everything we did we did it with 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 the right pace we didn't want mm-hmm. to rush into things i mean there were times where we wanted to open a bar uh, in Hong Kong. Let's say open another bar, but we are always very careful. Like we always think a lot. Like should we do it? Should we not do it? Because I think it's because of the experience we had with Koa. It wasn't one of the smoothest experience we had, right? So, uh, so that's why we're a bit more careful. We we don't want to like jump into things and then regret afterwards. So, because you know, opening bars in Hong Kong is very expensive and there's a lot of sacrifices. And uh, Koa uh, taught us a lot. And anything we do in the future, we're going to be more careful. But definitely, uh, uh, we want to expand as a company. We want to promote agave spirit. And uh, not just in Hong Kong, but hopefully uh, in Asia. Uh, And I know there are a lot of places in the U.S. already. There are a lot of places in Europe already. But I think Asia, uh, not so much. Uh, The only one place in Asia actually have one of the best agave cultures, surprisingly, I think personally is Japan because Japan, they have a lot of agave bars. Like you go Tokyo, there's a few, you go uh, Osaka, there's a few. So, so they have a lot of uh, uh, agave bars already. And there's a lot of like bartenders who love agave spirits. And the thing, the good thing about Japan is uh, there is a direct flight from Tokyo 
to Mexico. And I think that really helped a lot of the bartenders, let's say, uh, go to Mexico because of the direct flight. You know, it's a lot easier for them. Uh, for us, for me, for example, I have to either go to US uh, or Japan or even Korea. Uh, so I can't fly directly. If I could fly directly, I probably would have been going a lot more because the travel time is it's, it's insanely large. If you count in yeah, all those trans, transit and everything, it's just too long. So uh, definitely, I think Asia needs more of agave spirit. And I think there's a lot of potential. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we will uh, slowly and slowly expand. We don't want to rush. And if somebody else does it before us, no problem. Because in the end of the day, uh, uh, our purpose is hopefully more and more people will drink agave spirit and knows more about agave spirit. Great. And to finish off, is there any good resources you can recommend for those who want to get into Kida, like any books or websites or, or other platforms? Sure. Um, I, uh, I, I have developed a, um, a Evernote where I can share with people. And the oh. Evernote, uh, I have the list of tequila and mezcal that we have in our bar. So initially it was for my staff. Uh, so we developed uh, the Evernote. So we have different um, worksheet, sorry, yeah, work, yeah, worksheet inside the Evernote about a particular tequila or a mezcal. So it's organized pretty well. So all you have to do is, if I sent you a link, right? Uh, no, you need to send me an email and then I'll send you an invitation. You say yes, and then you can view that. And when you can view that, you just have to type in what tequila you're looking for or what mezcal. It's like a search box. So then you will have right. the information about the particular brand or by keywords like, oh, I want something fruity. I want something vegetal, you know? things like that. So you type in the keywords, then you can have the list of tequila as well. So I created that for my staff because uh, especially um, in Hong Kong, uh, not a lot of the people know a lot about agave spirit. So when you have a new staff that comes in, uh, they need that resources to kind of like, you know, uh, if somebody, for example, asks you uh, about, oh, can I have a vegetal tequila or a smoky mezcal uh, what is the smokiest mezcal you have? All you have to do is go to the Evernote and and key in the words, and then you will get the list of the mezcals that you're looking for. Uh, so mm. things like that. And then once we developed it, we thought it was pretty good, and then we start sharing it with people. Uh, so then uh, I did a post on Instagram a while ago. I told people who whoever were interested in this, they could send me their email. I can send invitation. What you have to do is just download Evernote. That's it. Uh, mm -hmm. so that's something I can recommend. So if, if you can send me a bunch of emails, uh, and then I can, uh, send you a link to the Evernote, um, the workbook that I've done. And from there on, from there on, you can view, uh, what's inside. Uh, so the idea of this is basically, um, not, I mean, uh, the agave idea was something we did, but the idea of using Evernote. Uh, was not from me. It was actually from um, Dead Rabbit in, in, in the U.S. So we have uh, Greg. Uh, so Greg is like one of the trainers uh, in, that, uh, sorry, in uh, uh, Dead Rabbit. So he came to Hong Kong once and he shared like how they put recipes together, like a recipe book. So they don't use papers, right? So they use everything in Evernote and they start doing this. And then I was really impressed by the idea. And I was already using Evernote. So I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. 
then I told Greg, you know, like, I want to do this. And, and then after I, after I completed that, I showed Greg, like, this is what I did. And he was also like, wow, this is pretty good, actually. So we, we went from cocktails to, you know, agave spirits and also all those templates that we're talking about. They're all mm -hmm. using the same, the same, the same, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Evernote, uh, whatever okay. you call it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we get it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's, that's fantastic. And uh, I'll put a lot of this in the show notes for our audience. Um, Jay, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Um, it's amazing, man. You're doing so much for the industry and so much for tequila in this part of the world. So thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, please, whenever there's anything uh, you want to, uh, you want me to share about agave spirits or, or anything, you know, in general, just let me know. I'm always here. Yeah to share and I'm always here to learn from others as well. So anything, just let me know. Great. Jay, thank you very much. See you soon. Thank you, Chris. Have a good night. Ciao. Well, that is it guys. Thank you very much for listening to episode 30 with me and Jay Khan. Uh, next week's guest should be quite a good one as well. I will tell you nothing um, because I mean like that. But uh, once again, guys, please subscribe and like and head over to my Patreon page if you want to support my community. And for a small monthly fee, you get access to exclusive content and also help me grow my show. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. Um, thank you very much, my wonderful audience, and talk to you all soon.